Hi everyone, David Harris here for Criminal Injustice. We're taking a little winter break here on the podcast, and while we're away, we're going to play for you each week a one of our favorite recent episodes. Today, uh, it will be episode 98 with my guest James Anderson of the Rand Corporation here in Pittsburgh. He talked to us about holistic criminal defense. This is a term most often associated with the Bronx defenders, but it is rapidly spreading across the country. And Anderson and his colleagues uh, have done some pioneering work measuring the effectiveness of holistic criminal defense. So you get to know what that is and how well it works and what it does in addition to regular kinds of public defender organization. So here it is, James Anderson from episode 98, Holistic Criminal Defense. I hope you enjoy it. We try to solve the problem of mass incarceration by eliminating mandatory sentences or by getting rid of cash bail. But what about a better method of providing criminal defense services? Could this cut prison and jail populations and secure public safety? A holistic model for criminal defense. That's on this episode of Criminal Injustice. Criminal Injustice is recorded at WESA in Pittsburgh. For past episodes, show notes, and more information, visit criminalinjusticepodcast.com. Welcome to Criminal Injustice. I'm David Harris, your host and resident criminal justice geek, back with you to talk about our confusing and often difficult criminal justice system, and still so incredibly glad for that day job as professor of law at the University of Pittsburgh School of Law. Talk to anyone, anyone at all concerned with mass incarceration, and you'll hear certain themes. Of course, you'll hear that the U.S. is the incarceration nation. We're 5% of the world's population, but we have 25% of the world's prisoners. You'll, of course, hear that our imprisoned population is vastly disproportionate along racial lines. You'll hear that some states, conservative red states in particular, have done some reform work that has decreased their incarcerated populations significantly. On the show, we've discussed some of the approaches to fighting and changing mass incarceration. Could we bring down the numbers of incarcerated Americans by reforming our bail system? We discussed this on episode 20, way back in our second season, with Judge Truman Morrison of Washington, D.C., and more recently on episode 77 with Roseanne Scotty of the New Jersey Drug Policy Alliance, and we talked there with her about our bail reform efforts. On episode 74, we discussed cutting prison numbers by dealing with the lengthy sentences we hand out. We talked about that with Ryan King of the Urban Institute. And then on episode 55, one of our favorites and most popular, we talked about the effect of mandatory minimum sentences with former federal judge Kevin Sharp. Now, all of these approaches to curbing and reversing mass incarceration can help, and all of them need to be tried. But here's something no one has discussed. What about the way that states provide public defense services to those charged with crimes? Could that have an impact on mass incarceration? Now, many of us listening probably know that when a person is charged with a crime, he or she is entitled to a lawyer provided by the state at the state's expense 
if the defendant cannot afford one. That's been basic constitutional law since Gideon versus Wainwright in 1963. States comply with that obligation by creating and funding a public defender's office, for example, with lawyers who do this work. Uh, some comply by paying for individual lawyers who are appointed to represent indigent clients. These systems, I'm sure you all know, have problems. Chief among them, of course, are the lack of resources that states and counties allocate to them and the crushing, crushing caseloads that lawyers in public defender offices often have to shoulder. Here's some audio taken from a video produced by Mother Jones Magazine. The first voice you hear is Jonathan Rapping, our guest on episode 18 and the founder of the Gideon Project, uh, which trains public defender lawyers who work in the South. The second voice you hear is Kate Huppert, author of the book Chasing Gideon. Give a listen. Um, in many of the places where we work, you really wouldn't even know that Gideon versus Wainwright existed. Those lawyers frequently are saddled with incredible caseloads. They frequently don't have resources to investigate cases and to hire experts. And so for a lot of these lawyers, although they come into the work for the right reasons, they become um, lawyers who are forced to simply help process people through the system, every pressure in the system. I would walk to this drug court and the Halls were just crowded with people, you know, people who are meeting their attorneys for the first time in the hallway, and you're just like, oh, my God, how could this attorney be meeting this 12-year-old kid in the hall and then go into court and tell him to, you know, plead guilty to a drug charge? You know, it's just, it's, it was shocking. All those traditional public defense models share the same traditional structure. They give indigent defendants a lawyer, and that lawyer does lawyer stuff to conduct a defense in the case, the individual case. But what if there was another way to approach public defense? And what if that model would not only help defend the accused, but could also help address mass incarceration? That model is called holistic defense. And our guest today is one of the authors of a new study that assesses what holistic defense can do to combat mass incarceration. James Anderson is the director of the Justice Policy Program and the Institute for Civil Justice. And he is a senior behavioral and social scientist at the RAND Corporation based in Pittsburgh. He was also a public defender for 10 years in Philadelphia. He has been the principal investigator on a wide variety of projects, looking at everything from policy implications of autonomous vehicles to tort issues to indigent defense. His work has appeared in the top law journals, and Oxford University Press books, and elsewhere. And he presents his work to academic and professional audiences everywhere. Along with his colleague at RAND, Maya Buenaventura, and Paul Heaton of the Quatrone Center for the Fair Administration of Justice, James Anderson has written a groundbreaking new study, The Effects of Holistic Defense on Criminal Justice Outcomes, which will be published in the Harvard Law Review the first rigorous study of the holistic defense model. We'll put a link to it up on our website. James Anderson, welcome to Criminal Injustice. Thank you very much, David. I'm so glad you're here. Would you start maybe by telling us a little bit about what the RAND Corporation does in the criminal justice area? Sure, I'd be happy to. Uh, RAND, uh, since the 19, early 1970s, has done a wide range of research uh, in the criminal and civil justice space, 
uh, ranging from looking at uh, the effects of correctional education on recidivism uh, to claiming behavior by people who are seriously injured or fall uh-huh. ill. Uh, so really, so there's been a, a wide range of research we've, uh, we've done over the years. Yeah, because we think of RAND as somehow so government-oriented, maybe defense research, but really you've got a large footprint in research along a whole host of fields, and criminal justice is one of the big ones. That's correct. So let's talk about holistic defense. Uh, This idea has uh, been around for a little while. Give us a working definition of holistic defense. What is that? Yeah, the the underlying intuition, uh, David, is is that uh, de- criminal defendants don't just need uh, a lawyer to fight their criminal case, but that often the reasons that they are in contact with mm-hmm. the criminal justice system can be addressed as well. And so, uh, as opposed to a, uh, a a conventional model where the person providing the defense, be that a, a private attorney or a public defender, is exclusively or primarily focused on the person's criminal case. Right. The holistic defense model uh, looks at potentially providing more kinds, different kinds of assistance to the criminal defendant. So other kinds of assistance such as what? Well, so for example, uh, uh, housing assistance in some cases, uh, there are a whole host of uh, what are, are, are collateral consequences of being involved in the criminal defense, uh, or, sorry, being involved in the criminal system uh, that uh, the holistic defense model attempts to address. And those include immigration issues, uh, housing, uh, drug uh, cases. There, there are often frequently many programs that criminal defendants are eligible for uh, that they may not be aware that they're eligible for. And, and a holistic mm-hmm. approach can put uh, criminal defendants in touch with the services for which they're eligible. So you'd need a whole team of different professionals, social workers, people who can uh, put people in contact with uh, the resources uh, across the system, not just in criminal justice, but a whole other thing. That's exactly right. Okay. So this idea of a full team approach of many professions to criminal defense. This originated in the office of the Bronx Defenders, which, just like it sounds, is the public defender office for the Bronx Borough in New York. Uh, Tell us a little bit about that. What's the history? How did it get started there? Yeah, so originally uh, in the early 1990s, uh, there was an organization called uh, Neighborhood Defender Services of Harlem that really pioneered this approach uh, and um, uh, a um, Robin Steinberg uh, is a public defender who started uh, in the, in 1997 uh, the Bronx Defenders uh, as a as a new organization to provide defense services uh, in the Bronx. Uh, and uh, she actually outlined uh, in, uh, in writing and in person uh, sort of four pillars of uh, holistic defense, uh, including seamless access to legal and non-legal services, uh, a sort of dynamic interdisciplinary um, um, communications within the defense team, hmm. uh, an interdisciplinary skill set on the part of the defense team. Uh, and a robust understanding of the community in which the public defender uh, operates. So interesting. It's such a wide-spectrum sort of approach to the whole basket of problems that may bring a person into contact with the criminal justice system. It isn't just, what are your legal issues? That's exactly right. So this approach gets pioneered in the Harlem office, which, for those of us who don't live in New York, is in Manhattan, and then folks in the Bronx take this up. 
That's right. And and uh, and Robin uh, founded the the office with with sort of this, and and has really sort of pioneered this approach to providing uh, public defender services. So. Let's say a, an indigent person gets arrested in the Bronx, wants an attorney, gets assigned to Bronx defenders. What would de- generally happen? What would what would be happening? Well, uh, so it, it would depend upon when the the uh, the defendant uh, first uh, made contact with the with the public defender. But the the sort of a key approach is that uh, the defense team wouldn't consist simply of a an attorney, but would be a part of this larger team. Right. And right. and one of the first things they would do is uh, complete a, a fairly detailed checklist. Uh, that uh, uh, covered a w- much wider range of questions about uh, the defendant's situation, the defendant's needs, um, and the like than oh. uh, is sort of con- more conventionally used uh, in a public defense intake Absolutely. Uh, I, yeah, I can remember those. You'd, get an, you'd interview the client, and uh, uh, the client would be asked about the case, and then maybe a little bit about the client's family, if it was uh, if you were in court to argue about bail, uh, resources and things like that. And you'd have a resource-oriented uh, interview that might be separate to determine eligibility for public defender support. And then that's it. And this sounds so much more comprehensive. Yeah, no, I think that's that that's sort of the intuition behind the holistic approach is that uh, you can provide a, a wider range of services. Uh, that can hopefully address some of the underlying reasons that the defendant is in, uh, ha- is has contact with the criminal justice system in the first place. All right, so you you get at the the other problems that bring people to where they are. So this has been going on in the Bronx and in in Harlem earlier than that since the '90s, uh, and yet it had never really been studied in a rigorous way. Uh, we were able to study it in a more rigorous way than it had been studied in the past uh, because we were able to take advantage of a fortuitous natural experiment. A uh, natural experiment. What does that mean? Yeah. So uh, one of the tricky things about measuring the effect of uh, attorneys on the outcome of criminal uh, processes is the fact that attorneys uh, aren't typically randomly assigned to uh, to the to the defendant, and so defendants and attorneys sort of choose one another, uh-huh. uh, and so uh, so as a result, it makes it very difficult to, to isolate the effect of the attorney uh, on the uh, on the outcome of the criminal proceeding. So what we were able to in this in this instance, we were able to take advantage of a essentially a random process. Uh, to isolate the effect and to really rigorously measure the effect that the uh, approach of the that the attorney has on the outcome of the of the criminal process. And when you say the a random process, I think you're referring to the fact that in the Bronx there's this Bronx defenders, and then there's a traditional public defender's office too, and defendants don't know uh, and have no control over which one they're assigned to. That's exactly right. Uh, the uh, the Legal Aid Society of New York is a, a very well respected um, uh, criminal defense organization that uh, has been around, I think, since the uh, at least the 1940s, uh, and are really uh, have a have a tremendous reputation uh, nationally uh, as being uh, one of the foremost providers of uh, criminal defense uh, and public defense services in the country. So there, that traditional organization is there. A defendant could end up with a lawyer from that office or could end up with the Bronx defender's lawyer. 
And so they there's no uh, there's no control over that. It's just randomly assigned. Yeah. So to be a little bit more precise, the the way it was it was arranged is is prior to the Bronx Defenders starting, uh, Legal Aid Society uh, represented um, all the cases in, in, unless there was a a conflict of interest, in which case a a private attorney was appointed. Uh, after the Bronx Defenders uh, uh, started, they uh, divided the cases up by a day of the week and by a specific courtroom. Ah. So uh, over time, those schedules have shifted, uh, but uh, but the, the the sheer fortuity of the time at which the defendant was arraigned uh, uh, sort of determines in in most cases uh, which uh, which organization the defendant. Um, uh, uh, receives. Okay. So you have how many years of data? What's the data like uh, for you as a social scientist? And how many cases did you get to analyze? Yeah, I don't have those numbers off the top of my head. I think it was approximately 10 years of data. Uh, and I believe there were almost uh, almost a million cases. I'd, I'd want to double check that. That's a pretty um, big pile of data, though, isn't it? It is. Yeah. It is. And and the advantage of having such a rich data set is that it allows us to draw uh, fairly strong conclusions about the comparative effects of uh, the kinds of public defense that the defendants were receiving. So you're, you're able to make an apples-to-apples comparison, essentially, in the same place with randomized assignment to different categories. That is sort of a natural experiment. That's pretty good. Yeah, no, it's it's one of the nice things about uh, about being able to to find uh, these natural experiments in the criminal justice system uh, is it allows you to draw strong conclusions. You you uh, uh, can the, the the study design is also uh, the, the experimental design is pretty straightforward, um, and uh, you can draw strong conclusions and also explain it to a wide range of audiences. Yeah, and that's important. So in the end, you look at the data. You've got this good uh, experimental setup. What's kind of the top line finding that comes out of your data? Well, there are a couple uh, conclusions that are that are probably worth highlighting. Uh, one is that the, the, the holistic approach uh, reduced the likelihood of a uh, jail or prison sentence, a custodial sentence, by uh, 16%, and overall reduced the expected uh, the expected length of the sentence by 24%. Uh, that avoided um, a million days of incarceration and uh, saved uh, the state of New York uh, $165 million from those incarceration costs. That is pretty remarkable. And and because of all the data you have, those got to be pretty robust findings. Yes, they are. Boy. So any you tell any state governor or legislator that they could save $165 million and keep, uh, keep out a million uh, uh, person days uh, out, of the, out of the incarceration system, I imagine they might be interested in hearing this. Um, I, I would I would think so. Um, to be to be uh, uh, to be clear, we did not measure the uh, we did not compare the the costs of the uh, the Bronx the holistic defense approach to that of legal aid. Uh-huh. Uh, so that would be a uh, a useful uh, uh, piece of analysis to sure. do, sure. so that you can really compare the the overall cost of the one approach as opposed to the other. Uh, but there, but there are reasons to think that the cost might be might be less than uh, you might think it would be. 
partly because the uh, the Bronx defenders' emphasis on an inter- interdisciplinary team also means you you tend to be hiring fewer lawyers and more uh, who who and the lawyers tend to be the ones who are the most lawyers expensive. Are expensive. Yes, exactly. And so if you're relying more on a team based approach that relies on paralegals, uh, investigators, and social workers. Uh, there's uh, you can end up with a, a certainly a, a less lawyer centric approach to providing uh, arguably superior service. A less lawyer centric approach. You heard it here first, folks. Let's pause briefly. We're with James Anderson of the Rand Corporation. We're talking about holistic defense. Stay with us. We'll be right back. Hi, my name is Nancy, and I'm calling from Connecticut. This is Trisha calling from Baltimore. Eric from Kingston, New York. Calling from D.C. From Orange, Virginia. Sunny Dayton, Ohio. Calling from Long Island. St. Paul, Minnesota. Los Angeles, California. Kahului, Hawaii. Christchurch, New Zealand. Sacramento. Philadelphia. Iowa City, Iowa. And I was calling to ask you a question. question for you. I had a question about Miranda. I have a question about something I heard on the news. I've been wondering. I'm just wondering. I'm just wondering. I just wondering. I was wondering, and I was just curious. I am curious. The question I have for you is... What I want to know I is... I want to know... I'd love to hear more about... I would like for you to please explain... I'm hoping you can help me uh, understand... What are the laws about that? But I'd ask the expert. Got a question? Better call Dave. Call 412-407-3389 and ask Dave. That's 412-407-3389. Hi, everyone. David Harris here for Criminal Injustice, and we're back with James Anderson of the RAND Corporation, along with two co-authors. He's part of a team that's put together the first rigorous study of holistic defense and what that means for the numbers of fellow Americans who are incarcerated. James, before the break, we were talking about the savings to the state of New York and the savings in sentenced days and uh, the likelihood of conviction. I think one thing people might want to know is the impact on public safety. There's probably some folks wondering, well, if, you know, if you're cutting more people loose, if they're not serving as long as sentences, they're not in prison as long, do they pose a greater danger? Uh, what is the impact on public safety to the extent you were able to figure it out? Yeah, David, that's a great question and, and uh, a question we were really uh, interested in ourselves. Um, uh, unfortunately, thanks to our large data set and uh, our ability to, f- to track the uh, defendants, uh, we tracked them for about 10 years uh, and found that there was no higher rate of recidivism. 10 years? Uh, yeah, um, uh, of the group that uh, uh, were released um, uh, than, uh, than sort of equivalent groups that, that weren't. Um, so uh, from that were they received the uh, defense services from the uh, holistic, the holistic defender as opposed to the traditional one so uh, so there was no uh, net effects on uh, public safety wow that's see I think people might expect that there would be some increase even but in fact if everything holds the same there's every reason to think that this this is uh, this is something worth pursuing as you said costs still being an issue. Uh, but your intuition is that those might not even be that big an issue either. Did it change the rates of conviction for people when they went to court? No, it did not. Um, and the other sort of interesting th- uh, thing to note is that proponents of this approach 
uh, have really argued that it might reduce recidivism, right? Uh-huh. So, you, so you might actually see mm-hmm. less crime in the long run um, uh, from folks who are getting services that would prevent them from being right. involved in the criminal justice right. system. Right, and, and the intuition makes sense because yeah. you'd think, well, you're addressing the root problems and maybe they, you won't see them again. Is right. that what you found? But we did not find that. Uh-huh. We, we found that, uh, in fact, the rate of criminal offending and, and reinvolvement in the criminal justice system was exactly the same uh, among the two groups. Interesting. So uh, recidivism not reduced, convictions about the same rate, but people are serving less time. Uh, Does it increase the use of non-incarceration types of sentences? Uh, certainly, the overall amount of incarceration uh, is less, and 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 so one of the implications of that is that, that judges are uh, uh, sentencing people to, to fewer numbers of days and less non or more non jail uh, sentences. Aha. Uh-huh. Okay. So I'm thinking back. I, I know many of our listeners will remember uh, episode 61 when we interviewed uh, Thomas Harvey, who was one of the founders, co-founders, I should say, of Arch City Defenders in St. Louis. And he was very clear. They used the holistic defense uh, model, uh, where, which they learned from the Bronx defenders. Uh, we had many other things to talk with him about. It was a, quite an interesting conversation. But uh, I just thought, uh, here we are talking about Bronx defenders. Has the model spread to other places that you're aware of besides uh, St. Louis? Uh, it, so th- there are um, – it, it certainly uh, spread uh, conceptually. In other words, so the idea of providing a wider range of holistic services uh, is, I think, very popular. Um, there's always a question uh, whenever you have a program uh, and it's spread elsewhere mm-hmm. uh, to other, other places, yeah. uh, how, whether it's the same program. Mm-hmm. Um, and whether or not uh, one can reasonably expect the same results. Um, and, and, you know, we've studied uh, the way this program was implicated in one jurisdiction, in one place over a particular time period. Right. So I, I would say it, it, um, it, the, the, our findings are promising, and, and I think it is uh, uh, suggestive that uh, other jurisdictions will have, um, you know, similar success. Uh-huh. But we, at this point, we don't, we don't know. Um, and so what we what would be useful would be further rigorous studies of other jurisdictions uh, and to build the evidence base uh, so that we uh, know uh, mm-hmm. whether or not this approach uh, uh, travels mm-hmm. uh, and whether there are unique circumstances having to do with uh, the Bronx right. that make it particularly right, effective. That could there. always be, yes. Y- you really don't know. Yeah. Um, uh, now, we're not aware of, of any of those circumstances, so we have no reason right now to to doubt that our uh, findings are generally uh, appropriate and, and one can reasonably expect to uh, mm-hmm. see somewhat similar findings elsewhere. But we, but we don't know and we certainly can't point to rigorous research to say that that will be the case. Right. And that's the appropriate caution with social science. I mean, you're doing – you have actually a pretty good experimental setup here. You can be pretty sure of what you found, but that doesn't mean you can just, you know, take the same six elements and – you know, unpack them from a box in the next city and it'll all be the same. And people always implement these programs in a slightly different way in a slightly different context. And yeah, and actually even in um, even in the Bronx, one of the sort of interesting things that we noted was that um, the Legal Aid Society uh, argues and suggests that they have adopted uh, holistic approaches 
so even the the traditional ah. defender has uh, says, well, mm. you know, we're also adopting holistic approaches. We do many of the same things okay. that the Bronx Defender does as well. Uh, and so, and interestingly, we found the 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 difference between. Mm-hmm. Uh, in outcomes between the two defender organizations tended to diminish over time. Ah. Uh, so, uh, so one um, uh, theory that's consistent with those facts is that uh, the Bronx Defender, the, or the I'm sorry, the Legal Aid Society uh, adopted holistic approaches over time, mm-hmm. uh, and as they began to do that, the two operations became became more, more similar. similar. Um, and there's also some. Um, I, I would say there's there's not unanimity on uh, exactly how to define holistic defense, mm-hmm. and that some defender organizations would uh, uh, say, well, you know, we involve social workers in our outreach, and that makes us a holistic defense organization. Now, the Bronx defenders would probably argue that right. unless you adopt really these sort of four pillars of mm-hmm. the holistic defense approach. You're not a true holistic defense um, organization. Um, you know that, that in some ways it's a semantic argument, um, uh, and as as I uh, and, and so um, for the purposes of our study, right. we studied uh, the effect of uh, holistic defense approaches as exemplified by the Bronx Defender. So we don't exactly know how different versions right. of holistic defense or different definitions of holistic defense. Uh, the effects of those applied elsewhere in the country. Yeah, it's a great point. You know, I know that here in Allegheny County, Pittsburgh, uh, they began using social work students as part of their staff uh, not that long ago. And I wonder if, you know, if if the public defender here in our county made the claim, well, we're holistic defense, too, because we have social workers. Um, you know, you'd be looking at two very different models. You wouldn't expect necessarily the same outcomes, but people could adopt the same vocabulary, and that might be the cause for some confusion going forward. So you, I think your cautions about about this are quite appropriate. Yeah, I mean, again, it may well be that um, you know, and and holistic defensive itself is a is a potentially vague enough term, so that could be applied to a variety of different approaches. Now, those approaches um, might be useful and might be good things, uh, but um, uh, but they might also uh, any any time you, you you obviously you do something you you execute a program in a different right. way. Right. Yeah, you, you maybe you have less uh, confidence that you'll see the same effects. Right. So let me just ask you a very broad question to kind of round things out here. As you look at the criminal justice world right now, you can see uh, prosecutors in some big cities taking on reform agendas. You can see public defense changing. You can see police taking uh, new kinds of looks at use of force and, and so many other things. As a researcher right now, what do you see as as the next thing that really deserves this kind of rigorous look? What would you like to be doing over the next five years in criminal justice? Boy, there's there's so many interesting questions. Uh, actually, Rand's uh, just starting a uh, an evaluation of uh, neighborhood policing in New York City, uh-huh. uh, and uh, which I think will be uh, uh, I think that that will yield interesting results. Um, more generally, I, I, I think we need a, um, a sort of a, a holistic view on the criminal justice system. The whole system. Uh, the whole system in that uh, a lot of existing research 
uh, tends to be focused on one narrow slice of the criminal justice system. Mm-hmm. So you have some researchers really just looking carefully at uh, incarceration. You have you have some researchers looking carefully at policing. Right. Um, building a, um, a sort of an overall model of the criminal justice system so that policymakers can understand okay, if we change uh, a certain kind of uh, whole, um, defense system, public mm-hmm. defense system, or if we change uh, some kind of policing or if we change some kind of parole, how is that going to affect the downstream parts of the system? Right. Uh, and uh, um, in the past, there's been uh, a lot less of that kind of um, – uh, I, I think what would be potentially really useful for policymakers – uh, to understand uh, again how relatively how changes in one part of the system affect other parts of it. The interrelated nature of all the parts, every piece matters. Exactly right, yeah. and and uh, and so and I think that partly stems from uh, the fact that researchers uh, tend to be specialized uh, uh, and yeah, tend sure. to uh, look at um, a relatively narrow part. Of the entire system, right? I study probation. I study police. I do this. I do that, and and never the twain shall meet. Right, right. Well, thanks very much. It's a great conversation. James Anderson is director of the Justice Policy Program and the Institute for Civil Justice, and he's a senior behavioral and social scientist at the Rand Corporation. He and his colleagues are the authors of a new study. The Effects of Holistic Defense on Criminal Justice Outcomes, which will be published in the Harvard Law Review. We'll put up a link to it on our website. Thanks for being my guest on Criminal Injustice. Thanks, David. Let's wind it up as we do on every episode with another edition of Lawyers Behaving Badly. This edition of Lawyers Behaving Badly from the ABA Journal News Online and the Pennsylvania Legal Intelligencer concerns lawyer and former state representative Thomas Gannon of Delaware County, Pennsylvania. He served in the state legislature for more than two decades, from 1979 to 2006, rising to become the chair of the House Judiciary Committee. Lawyer Gannon, it seems, might have made a very good salesman. A good salesman learns at some point, don't take no for an answer. Well, this isn't always good advice in the world of law practice. The trouble for Lawyer Gannon grew out of his representation of a resident of a townhouse condominium community who sought money to repair a structural defect in his house. Gannon got a victory for his client in arbitration, but the Condominium Association appealed the arbitration award to the court, as is their right, and the award to Gannon's client was thrown out and the association was awarded $8,500. This set off a chain of litigation and appeals by Gannon. Over the next several years, Gannon filed 49 separate appeals in the condominium case. Sometimes he did this while previous appeals 
were still pending and had not been decided yet. The trial court judge entered sanctions against lawyer Gannon 12 times, fining him over $10,000 and assessing $9,000 plus in fees. Finally, in June of 2017, the Pennsylvania Supreme Court had had enough. It dismissed all pending appeals and entered an order barring lawyer Gannon from representing his condominium client. During disciplinary proceedings that followed, the trial judge, who testified as a witness against Gannon, said that while he had, quote, an exemplary demeanor, Gannon was, quoting again, stubbornly resistant to court orders and, wait for it, quote, won't take no for an answer, close quote. Even after being prohibited by the state Supreme Court from further filings, Gannon went to court this time filing a suit in federal court, alleging federal civil rights violations. Well, the Pennsylvania State Disciplinary Board had had enough, too. In December of 2018, the board suspended lawyer Gannon for two years. The Supreme Court had recommended five years. So what do we know now? At least for two years, no more pleadings or suits by Gannon's about that condominium. But after that... We can't tell because we don't know if lawyer Gannon has learned anything from all this yet. As he said in a statement that appeared in the Daily Times, and I'll quote, I'm being suspended for filing appeals to the court, which is how you're supposed to do it. The Constitution doesn't say you're supposed to file appeals and here's your limit. Yeah. That is Lawyers Behaving Badly, and that closes another episode of Criminal Injustice. Subscribe to Criminal Injustice with our RSS feed if you haven't already, and share us all over social media. Check out our website for all of our interviews, our news items, and more stories of lawyers behaving badly. Got a question about the criminal justice system? So call it in, why don't you, and ask Dave. Call 412-407-3389. Leave us your first name, where you're calling from, and your brief question. Give us some contact information, too, but we won't share that. Again, 412 412- Four zero seven three three eight nine. Thanks for listening. I am David Harris, and I'll be back with you next time. Criminal Injustice is written by David Harris and produced by Megan Harris and Josh Rollerson. Interviews are recorded at the studios of WESA in Pittsburgh. For more information, links, and past episodes, visit criminalinjusticepodcast.com. Criminal Injustice Podcast.